Sir Balper, the 2-1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is John Sickles. John Sickles, you listener, because you are handsome and uh, knowledgeable, you probably know who John Sickles is, but let me tell you who John Sickles is in case you're not those things or in case maybe you glossed over it at some point in your life. John Sickles, originally a research assistant for Bill James, the aka the baby daddy of sabermetrics, after that uh, has been for some time now, over 10 years, author of a book called The Baseball Prospect Book. It's filled with prospects, like literally a thousand prospects. He's also the proprietor of uh, SB Nation site. Has been since 2005, actually. SB Nation site, minorleagueball.com. He also turns out to be a hell of a guy. Uh, if, if the following conversation is any indication. Do I need to elaborate any further? I don't. I don't. That's the actual answer to that. What is this? What is this? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? John Sickles. John Sickles of Minor League Ball and assorted other publications, both electronic and uh, print. I think print is the word for it. And uh, and th- this episode of the podcast begins right now. professional part of uh of this experience i can guarantee you <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's, we're not worried about it yeah um so how are you doing doing pretty good uh still kind of catching my breath from uh from the draft and and at this point it's just sort of maintenance i guess and the uh, next big thing i think is the trade deadline when you start getting rumors about prospects you know spreading around and and also with the international signing deadline coming up at uh, July 2nd, that's also another big thing. And you know how this business works. There's never an off day. There's always something going on. And, and uh, there's always uh, something going on in the minor leagues that you can point to and something in the prospect news. But there's peaks and valleys. But we're a little bit of a valley now after the draft, and it's going to peak against me. Yeah, it's not, uh, valleys aren't the worst, especially after the peaks part, because it's nice. Yes. <laughs> you definitely need some time to catch your breath, at least I do. I'm, uh, I'm not as young, I'm not as young as I used to be. When I was younger, I could do this stuff 24 hours a day, it seemed like, but now I need to, now I gotta be a little bit more realistic about it. Well, let's, let's actually start, you, you bring up this idea of sort of, uh, the prospecting calendar, or at least as it applies to you. Sure. Um, uh, obviously, any listener will be familiar with the, the general baseballing calendar and its relative peaks and valleys. Uh, we, of course, um, in terms of regular baseball, this is also kind of a valley, and then we, we sort of make our way towards the, the trade deadline at the end of July. But if you were to start – I mean, you could start wherever you want in the, the 12-year cycle, but or the 12-month cycle, I should say. But what, what is <laughs> – we have a different size here. It seems like 12 years. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, what is there – so what would you say is like their sort of general process? Is there like a, is there like a New Year's Day for prospect analysis? Uh, you know, I, I, to me, I think that the, the draft is always – I think the draft is probably my favorite day of the year. I, I, I love the draft. And so you – the way I kind of look at it is, uh, we'll start at the draft. You have draft day, then you've got uh, the you know the, the signing of prospects. Then you have the short the short season leagues get going. Um, in fact, right before you called, I was I was looking at uh, some box scores from the New York Penn League, which just got started a couple of days ago, and um, and so then you uh, then you have the trade deadline. Uh, where there's always a lot of prospects at least being rumored uh, in transactions and, and things you have to cover there. Uh, then you have the post, you know, you get towards the postseason. Now, for me, 
you know, I've got a, I, I wrote my book in the fall. And so for a lot of people, um, you know, after the postseason ends, uh, that's sort of like a, a lull, you know, in, in, in the prospect world. But for me, that's actually when I'm most busy because September, October, November, and and well nowadays in December is when I'm putting my book together. And so there's a lot of a lot of reports to write. There's a lot of numbers to look at. There's a lot of scouting reports to go through. There's a lot of people to talk to. Uh, and I've got to take all that information and, and get that um written up in a 600-page book, and that usually takes me about three or four months to do that. And at the same time doing that, I'm, I'm working on my – I'm still maintaining my website. And uh, so those four months are usually extremely busy for me. Uh, then January is – that that's kind of a uh, a little bit of a lull in January. I kind of catch my breath from the book. Uh, there's usually not a lot going on in the prospect world in January. Then, you know, but then in spring training starts in the middle of February, then you start getting prospect stuff again, then business begins to pick up. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's when I start selling books. My book comes out usually early in February. Uh, then you start working on spring training. You're talking about rookies, who's going to get a job, who's not going to get a job, how these guys are doing in spring training. Then once spring training start or ends and the season starts, then you got to pay attention to the guys who have made it to the major leagues, and then you got to start working on the draft. And uh, and so then there's the cycle again. Then you know April, May, June is usually building up to the draft, and and then it starts all over again. And that's uh, that's the way it works. That's how you do. Well, we're going to talk about the book. Well, we're going to talk about the book in a couple different ways. I want to tell you. I want to share a personal story with you that maybe will become some some more as we talk about it. With uh, what I think is probably the most delightful way anyone has in, ever encountered your uh, your bit your annual baseball book or your prospect book is uh, I had the fortune in uh, would have been about I guess 2009 maybe. I had mm-hmm. the fortune after uh, meeting and becoming friendly with Rob Nyer in the Portland area. Um, I had the fortune of house sitting for him. And wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, which is which is funny. Is uh, small I, world. Yeah. So, so for example, I've mowed Rob Nyer's lawn before, mostly because he doesn't, and I was <laughs> I was embarrassed. There's no way for Rob Nyer to live. Um, so yeah, I did that. But uh, he has his office there, and uh, right in his office, he has um, an entire row. Uh, I think you know, going back even before the prospect book, it was the like you know the baseball prospect book proper. Um, and we'll get to sort of what happened before then, but I sure. was like, I was like, what are these? And uh, you know, we had the extra innings package right there, so I just picked them up and was like, you know, I was like watching a Reds game, and I think that uh, Juan Francisco had maybe recently made his debut. So you know, I was kind of sitting there with with that book, watching Juan Francisco, um, but just being able to pour through all of them because for me, even it's fun to go back and look at what uh, what has been said about guys who, you know, are in the league for four, five, ten years or something like that. So that was like I read all of them basically at once up to like the 2009 edition in Rob Nyer's house. So that was great. <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting. It is a small world. I mean, you know, Rob in a way is the guy who got me into this because he was uh, – uh, I had stumbled into a job as, as Bill James' assistant. This was back in 1993, and Rob was, had, was my predecessor. Uh, working for Bill, and uh, so we got to know each other a little bit. Uh, I, I live in Lawrence, Kansas, and that's where Rob was living at the time. And so we, I got to know Rob pretty well. And and, uh, and even though he wasn't working for Bill any longer, and I was, we uh, you know we exchanged ideas and stuff. We found out we had a lot of interests in common. Then when he began working for ESPN, this would have been in I guess the spring of 1996. 
you know, the internet was just getting off the ground then, and, and Rob was uh, being was very instrumental in, in getting uh, ESPN uh, up, uh, baseball analysis up and running, and they needed somebody to do prospect stuff. And at the same time, uh, he was uh, before that he'd been working for uh, Stats Inc. out of Chicago at the time. They needed somebody to write a prospect book, and so Rob recommended me for both those gigs, and I uh, was able to make it work. I worked for ESPN for a long time. I worked the um, it's called the Minor League Scouting Notebook, where the the initial editions of what I wrote. I began writing that in 1996. Uh, my friend Eddie Epstein had written the first version in 1995, and then he turned it over to me in '96. And so I wrote the stats book through 2002, and then I started doing it on my own in 2003. And it's been a long journey. It's taken uh, a lot of luck, uh, and I was in the right place at the right time. And uh, so it's a small world that you were that you were uh, mowing Rob's lawn. I have to say that's something I've never had an opportunity to do. Yeah, well, so. I, I think it's. <laughs> It's sort of a small world. I mean, I, you know, uh, like another, uh, like a number of other guys who write about baseball on the internet, uh, Naira was also quite helpful uh, in, uh, you know, introducing me to, you know, both to, not just to people, but also what I needed to do to be uh, to be a better writer, I guess, or or I guess at least to uh, move my writing skills to to translate them to baseball writing. But now you, well, you oh, go yeah. ahead, sorry, yeah, yeah, go. Right, you go ahead, you go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask about how you stumbled into into Bill James because uh, I mean, is it just a question of of uh, liking baseball and living in Lawrence, Kansas? No, see it, the the whole Bill James thing. This is one of those things that I think might make, make you think of like believe in fate or something like that. Uh, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, we had a Triple A team. Uh, it was the Iowa Oaks at first, and it was later called the Iowa Cubs. And I was really into baseball. And then uh, one day, I guess it would have been in nineteen in the spring of nineteen eighty three, my father. Uh, uh, bought me a copy of the Bill James Baseball Abstract because he had he had read a review of it and it sounded like something that I'd be interested in. So he bought me a copy of the Baseball Abstract and I read it and I was hooked. And uh, so so Bill got me Bill James got me really interested in sabermetrics and trying to look at the game scientifically. But but the other thing about Bill was I was also taken with his quality of his writing. And at the time I was in high school and I was just learning how to write myself and. That was, I think, just sort of a, a really good example to me was was reading Bill's writing and how he was able to combine uh, the sabermetric stuff with uh, with just, just good, entertaining writing. And uh, then I went to college. Um, I actually went to college in Missouri at a little college called Northwest Missouri State. I graduated from there in 1990, uh, moved to Lawrence, uh, basically for grad school. I came here to go to the University of Kansas. And at the time I was studying history, I was planning on being a, a like a teacher or a college professor or something like that. I was studying history at the University of Kansas, and I knew that Bill lived in town, um, but, you know, it was basically a coincidence that I did that trip for grad school. Then uh, one day, I guess it would have been in the spring of 1993, uh, my wife, I was married by this point, my wife asked me what I wanted to do for the summer. My options were pretty much, you know, delivering pizzas or working at fast food restaurants. It's not like graduate students have a lot of money, right? <laughs> or, yeah, uh, and, or marketable skills. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, here I am, a grad student. I'm trying to find some way to make money for the summer. And uh, my wife said, what would you like to do this summer? And as a joke, it was a joke, I said, well, I'd love to work for Bill James. I'd love to be Bill James' assistant. Ha ha, isn't that funny? She, she she laughed and she said, "Yeah, right. That'll never happen." It's well, good, it's good day, she has a lot of faith in you from that. From right? That point yeah, out. exactly. <laughs> well, the next day, the next day, my wife's at work. She was working in a luggage store, and Bill James walks into her store to buy a briefcase. 
And she recognizes him. She says, are you James, the baseball writer? And he says, yes, I am. And my wife, God bless her, because none of this would have happened if she hadn't made this decision. She looked at him, and she said, my husband would like to work for you. And Bill said, oh, well, if he's serious, here's my business card. And she handed, he handed my wife his business card. And, she, and he said, have him call me. So my wife comes home, and she's like, you're not going to believe who I talked to today. And I talked to Bill James, and I'm like, yeah, right. And she's like, no, no, I did. And she handed me the business card, and she's like, call him. And I'm like, wow. And so I called Bill, and we had lunch, and we got along pretty well, and he hired me as his assistant. And that's how it happened. Were you sort of uh, outside of your own body like, during like these uh, first conversations? Yeah, it was really weird because I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, I mean, I'd read his stuff for years, and, and but I was kind of intimidated because this is like, you know, uh, you know it's uh, – I didn't know. I didn't know what he was like in person. I didn't know what what to expect. I I felt that you know God, you know I'm I'm a stupid idiot, and here's this <laughs> famous writer who's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. And I, I and and uh, and it was interesting because he he needed somebody who knew about the minor leagues and to help him write. At the time, he was writing uh, a series of books called the Player Ratings Books, and he needed somebody who knew about the minor leagues to help him with that. And minor league stuff that had been sort of my hobby. It was my hobby. I've been studying minor leagues for years. I'd gone, you know, minor league baseball games my whole life, and it was my hobby studying prospects. And the the way that I ended up getting the job was as we're, we're sitting there at a at a pizza hut in downtown Lawrence, and he asked me. He said, "Well, tell me who you think the five best prospects in baseball are right now." And so I, I rattled off some names. I have no idea who they were. It was 1993. <laughs> I can't remember now. But I rattled off some names and, and gave some brief reports, and he, and he decided that's how I got the job. And uh, and then after that, it was uh, worked as his assistant for three years. Um, I stayed in grad school for a while, but by '96, '97, I'd, I'd I'd finished all my PhD coursework. But I realized that I was never going to actually do my PhD. It would have required me to go to Europe, and I didn't have that kind of money. And and uh, and so in '97, I I dropped out of grad school and uh, started trying to make the baseball thing work as uh, and it has. And I owe I owe it to I owe it to my wife. And I owe it to Bill James, and I owe it to Rob Nyer. And I, I've been extremely fortunate. I have no illusions about that. I've been extremely fortunate. Now, when you talk about compiling that book, because I, I know, for example, with regard to James, um, I've read in a couple of different places um, uh, his description of his process. And I think that as he, you know, even starting from that first abstract, as he kept going on through the abstracts and, and as you noted, the player ratings books, et cetera, uh, that more and more there became, a, I don't know, pressure either from publishers proper or just from himself in, in, in a combination with the market to get the book out earlier and earlier. And uh, um, I think, you know, he so he always was discussing the process and how essentially tired it would leave him. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned uh, you, you sort of gestured briefly towards the process for writing, uh, for writing your prospect book, but I'm curious both – uh, we know what it has looked like and what it looks like now. Well, you know, uh, when I when the, my first stats book, I think had like I think like I don't know like maybe two hundred players in it. And as over time, it, it, that gradually got bigger. And then when I started doing it on my own, 
uh, I guess the first one that I wrote on my own was 2003. And that one I think I had about 700 or 800 players. And the problem that I run into is that as I study prospects, you know, I'll start getting into guys that are pretty obscure. And, and one of the things that I I think the thing that I like doing most of all is figuring out which obscure guys have a chance to make it. That's what I get the most satisfaction out of. I mean, anybody can write about you know Dylan Bundy or or, or uh, you know Kevin Gossman or or uh, you know or any of, the, of any of the super top prospects because uh, those guys are pretty common knowledge and they're easy to study and they're easy to see. And they're easy to, and you can talk to other people about them and and judge them for yourself. But the really obscure guys are the guys that I really get the most joy out of. When, when somebody like um, like Michael Fires last year makes the major leagues, I, I really get a big kick out of that. <laughs> trying to trying to find those guys ahead of the curve is the thing that I really enjoy most of all. And uh, so the problem there is I start trying to make it more and more comprehensive and uh, getting more and more obscure players. And, and I think, you know, like the book this year, Gosh, let's see here. I think I had, um, I've got, I, I ended up having 1,210 players in the book. Now, obviously, I can't see all of these guys. A lot of this is based on information that I get from other people and, and obviously the statistical information, too. But, uh, you know, I've got over you know, over 1,200 players in the book. The book comes to over 500 pages. And it, it is exhausting. You know, when I was young, I could, I could knock this stuff out really quickly. I could write very rapidly. Now I'm, I'm, I'm 45 years old. I've got two kids. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not as young as I used to be. And every year when I finish the book and, and, and get the thing sent off to the printer, I start to wonder, man, is that, can I do this again? You know, can I do this again? I don't know if I can. I, I, it's so tiring. It, it does leave me exhausted. But you forget that, uh, it seems, uh, by the next September or whatever. Yeah, by the September again, I'm fine. And, and, and actually, if I, if I look at it, even now, uh, you know, doing my daily, my daily study and my daily research, even now I'm actually, in a way, working on the 2014 book. And uh, I'm, I'm already taking notes. I'm already... Uh, studying and gathering information and, and, and talking to people and and uh, so that's it's already in progress in a way and it's not a, a thing where it's like today I'm going to start working on the book it's like in a way I already am and, and I think I'm probably going to be writing these things until I, I die I mean I'm, I know I'm never going to retire and <laughs> and uh, that's one of the negatives about this is you don't get a 401k doing what I do and um, and so I, I intend to basically uh, do this uh, pretty much as long as I can. Uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm extremely lucky to, to be able to do this, and, and I, I think about that every day. Now, when you're uh, when you're now, you say there's not really a specific day when you start, but um, there, there must be a point at which you say, uh, or you must have some sort of methodology for, as you noted, identifying certain players like a fires um, who who are going to provide something for a team, perhaps down the road. What is this? What is the sort of methodology used for identifying a player like that? Ah, uh, you know, it it can be anything. Um, sometimes it's because I'll, I'll notice uh, something statistical. Uh, sometimes it could be a guy that I've seen in person, um, uh, like in the low minors or in college or something like that. Uh, in Fire's case, it was because I'd noticed his performance at college. Um, he had uh, pitched at. Uh, uh, Nova Southeastern in Florida, and he had put up some just amazing statistics in college. And I thought, wow, who is this guy? Why, why is he so awesome? 
And so I did a little digging, and, and I discovered that this was a guy who was old for his, you know, was kind of old for a college guy. I think he was 24 when he got drafted, actually. He had some injury problems. And uh, but that the and I I got some information on him that was pretty positive about his pitch ability and so I thought okay well here's a guy that that seems like he knows how to pitch and the numbers are certainly there let's see what he does in pro ball now you've studied this all you studied this yourself you know what usually happens to these guys they'll zip through the low minors and then they'll get the double A and they'll hit the wall um, that's what usually happens to guys like that but I was able to see him in person and I saw something that it's like, you know, this guy is really deceptive. This is not just a standard guy with an 86 mile an hour fastball who's tricking people. He really seems to be deceptive enough that he might be able to make this work. Now, you know, he's gotten his, you know, he had a really good run last year. This year has not been as successful for him. And it is a good chance that he'll never have the kind of success that he did again. Uh, but you know damn well that the Brewers were awful happy to expend a 24th round pick or whatever he was and a tiny, small, tiny bonus to get what they got out of him last year. That counts as a success. Um, Dan Ugla, that's another guy that's a really interesting guy who's had more of a long-term success, was, was a sleeper guy that didn't really get a lot of attention as a prospect and who's made something out of himself and has had a long career. Uh, I love guys like that. At the same time, you know, there's there's just a, a tremendous joy in uh, in seeing a truly outstanding prospect um, like Miguel Sano, and I saw him last year playing in the Midwest League. Oh, that was that was amazing to see him play. Byron Buxton this spring, uh, it, it just uh, just saw him saw him play for Cedar Rapids, and it was just like wow, that's just a real pleasure to watch a guy like that. So, it's uh, I guess in a way, if you look at it, the whole thing is just sort of a, a, a love of, of baseball, both the outstanding prospects and the obscure ones. But back to your question about the methodology, uh, you know, I, I think I might actually be more productive if I was more organized. Because if you ever seen a picture of my office, which there's a reason nobody does, because my wife would kill me if people knew what my office looked like. Uh, you know, I've got stacks of, of books and, and papers and, and, and newspapers. It looks like 1958 you're up in here, and uh, and I, uh, uh, it, you know, it's I take notes and. If I note something in person from seeing a guy in person or uh, or something that I might read or something that I might hear, somebody might give me a tip, uh, I take notes and, uh, and I study these guys. And when it comes down to starting to actually write the book, when I, the, my process of writing the book is I, I actually write it by team. I'll, I'll write like, you know, say oh, I'll okay. write, I'll, I'll, what I'll, I'll start off, I always start off with the twins. The first three teams I always do are the twins, the Braves, and the Royals. Uh, and then after that, I basically do teams as they strike me. So I'll go through the twin system and I'll gather all the information I have and, and, uh, and I'll write up the comments for the twins and I'll write up the comments for the Braves and I'll write up the comments for the Royals. And, and gradually as I, you know, doing, you know, the comments build up and, you know, doing, I guess, 35 to 40 comments for a team and then moving on to the next team, it gradually builds up to where I've got, you know, over, over 1200 players written up. It takes time. It's, it's tedious. Um, but again, I consider myself extremely lucky. It's it's certainly uh, a better job than than most people have, and so I'm uh, I'm very fortunate to be able to take something I love and make a living out of it. No, I think I think the way that maybe you've evaluated players, um, even since when you began the um, the prospect book itself, has changed a little bit. I, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps you were a little uh, you weighted uh, statistical performance a little bit more heavily early on, and. You, Perhaps you've revised that a little bit uh, in the meantime, but I, I'm, I might be speaking out of school too. 
No, no, no. That's that's exactly right. Uh, when I started, uh, when I look back at some of the things I wrote back in the in the mid '90s, mid and late '90s, when I was just getting started, it's like I read this and I'm like, boy, this kid was arrogant. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, life life, yeah, life yeah. has a way of teaching you humility over and over again. <laughs> oh, it does absolutely. And, and I was way, way, way more statistically oriented back then than I went now. Now, obviously, I'm still, I'm, if you drew a, you know, a continuum, I'm still more on the sabermetric side of things. Uh, and, uh, uh, but but I, I, as I've gotten older, I've incorporated more and more um, scouting stuff into it and uh, in person whenever I can, and uh, which is not often enough, but, but I, I love to do things in person. And, and I, as I've gotten older, now, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a trained scout, so uh, but sometimes you do see things, and uh, so it's it's I, I think it's it's more of a blend now. Uh, it's more of a blend of uh, sabermetrics and traditional stuff, and, and I think that's the way it has to be. I, I think that's the uh, I think actually all the you know if you talk to the, the other analysts, I think most of them are pretty much the same way. They may emphasize one more slightly more than the other, um, but but I think that. Um, at least I'd like to think that the, the industry, I hate calling it the baseball industry, but uh, I, I think that the uh, the baseball community, that's a better way to put it, um, I think has sort of over the years sort of, you know, stumbled its way to, to a, a more of a middle ground there between uh, between the sabermetrics and the and the, the more traditional approach, and, and I think there's a there's room for all of that. But, yeah, you're right. To give, answer your question, you're, you're, you're correct. Uh, I, I'm not as sabermetrically oriented as I used to be, uh, but uh, but I'm, I'm still, like I said, I'd still be on the sabermetric line of things. But but there's there's more uh, old-fashioned stuff in the book than there used to be. Right. Well, that's. I mean, this is the thing that happens too, right? Is you uh, you know perhaps uh, scrolling through some leaderboards or whatever, and you, and you see uh, see a, maybe at a, a high A prospect has an excellent strikeout to walk ratio. Um, he's not very old, perhaps. For example, you say, "Oh, this is uh, this is perhaps a good prospect." But then the step after that, right, always has to be it's sort of looking at, you know, what if you're going to use like a financial term, like what are the fundamentals, right? Is he right? Is he does he does he sit at 93 or is he is he 86, and you know maybe has a, a breaking ball that for some reason high A batters can't hit. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, the, the the classic example of that is strikeouts. Uh, strikeouts, sabermetrically speaking, strikeouts are critical for pitchers. Mo- pitchers who have high strikeout rates j- usually succeed at a better rate than pitchers who do not have high strikeout rates. Now, that's that's true. So you may notice a guy because he's got a high strikeout rate, but then you got to figure out, as you just said, why does he have that high strikeout rate? Is he fooling? You know, is he down in low A ball and he's fooling guys with breaking pitches that double A hitters won't chase? You know, you you got to find out the answer to that. Um, and uh, uh, you know, and same thing with hitters. You know, sometimes a guy may be drawing a ton of walks, but maybe scouts think he's too passive, and that when he gets to higher levels, the pitchers are going to be able to take advantage of that passivity. Sometimes that happens. And uh, or maybe he's really just got a, a really discerning eye, and that's something that the scouts will pick up on. So the numbers, I think, a lot of times are the are starting point, and they're a necessary starting point. But then you need to get dig down and and, uh, and find out exactly what exactly is the number telling us, and uh, and uh, and you know what? Sometimes you know you you studied this, you know how this works. Sometimes. The guy will maintain his numbers even when scouts don't think he will. 
and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> right, right, and, exactly. and, and, yeah, and, and trying to figure out which of those guys is going to is going to uh, to do that is, is the mystery. Some guys, sometimes people improve when you don't expect them to. Um, I, I'm this afternoon. I was working on an article about uh, Brandon Crawford, uh, the Giants shortstop. And the reason this came up was I was I was watching a game a couple days ago and and uh, just a you know, random uh, game on TV and and Brandon Crawford came to the plate and he's hitting and I'm thinking you know he looks a lot different than when I saw him in the minors and and I and they're talking about his numbers I thought you know he's really improved and I thought I remember and I went back and I looked at the stuff that I wrote about Brandon Crawford four or five years ago and I thought this is a guy who has really changed. This is a guy who had, uh, I think it was 20 walks and 100 strikeouts in a full season of Double A. That's terrible. <laughs> you, know, you know, most most guys who are, you know, have got a five to one strikeout to walk ratio in in uh, in Double A. Most of those guys don't become good hitters, no matter what. But Crawford is a guy who's improved significantly, and so I figured I need to figure out why this happened. And so I did some research and I wrote an article about it, and that'll go up on my blog tomorrow. And, uh, and one thing I try to do is I, I try to do case studies of guys like that, of guys who've got an unusual development path. And sometimes these are guys who get better when people don't expect it, and sometimes they're guys who were always good but people didn't see how good they were at the beginning. And uh, and so that's one of the things I try to do. I, I, I call that prospect retrospectives, and it's something I do on my blog occasionally. And I do that, obviously, to you know try to entertain people and get clicks on my blog. Uh, but I also do that as a way to kind of educate myself. And so the next time I might see somebody like Brian or Brandon Crawford in the minor leagues who, you know, can't hit, you know, can't hit the broad side of the bar and looks and looks terrible, uh, if he's got some athleticism like Crawford has, I might think to myself, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't give up on that guy right away. Maybe there's a chance that he can do something like Brandon Crawford did, and that might encourage me or motivate me to take a deeper look at the guy and see if I can figure out if, he, if his problems will be fixable. Now, you mentioned your, uh, your prospect retrospectives. I know one that, uh, that is forthcoming from you, and which I'm going to force you to talk about now, uh, concerns Corey Kluber. Right. Uh, you right. may or may not be aware that I am a, a strong advocate of Corey Kluber. Um, and he started off the season excellently in terms of um, his, uh, his sort of indicators, uh, even if he wasn't necessarily uh, preventing runs uh, at the same rate. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, he's, caught, he's caught up with those at this point. He's, he's, not, he's not really allowing a lot of runs at this time. But I know I was surprised. You know, what, he had pitched like 60 innings in the majors uh, as a 27-year-old. And you right. said, well, what's going on? But the, the thing is, and we sort of mentioned this a little bit, you, you watch Kluber in games now. He's hitting 95 uh, a bunch of times. He's throwing he's throwing both a, uh, he's throwing an excellent two-seamer. He's got this great cutter or slider and then more of a, 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 you know, then more of a sharp-breaking curveball. I mean, you look at it now and you say, how could this guy never have been how was he, how has he not been beloved his entire career? So I guess you're you're starting to figure out that answer. Do you have at least a you know sort of a, a summary? I don't have a summary on Kluber yet. That's my project for tomorrow morning. I've been working on Brandon Crawford today. But I'll tell you, just when you start talking about Kluber, I, I called up his numbers here, and I'm looking back at his stats in 2008 and 2009, and I can tell you right now. You know, you look back at this, and I'd say the first thing that people are going to be looking at was, well, this is a guy who had a, you know, ERA of almost five for a couple of years. Ah, but then you look at his strikeout numbers. 
147 strikeouts in 141 innings. He also had a 490 ERA, but he had a 147 strikeouts and 47 walks. He was doing something right. That's a really good strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's a very good strikeout rate. So there's something positive there, 2008. 2009, same thing, 159 strikeouts and 154 innings. Now, the next step, so I'd, I'd look at that, and I'd think, ah, okay, well, Corey Kluber, he's succeeded expectations. He's having this really good year. Was there any hints that he could do this? And I'd look back at these stats and say, ah, well, obviously there was a hint. He had these high strikeout rates even back when he was struggling. So the next step, and this would be what I would do in the morning, I think, would be I'm going to go through all my reports from dating back to 2007 <laughs> and see what I can find. What was I? What did I think of Corey Kluber uh, back in 2008 and 2009? Now, my vague, very vague recollection is that I think I might have said that he was a sleeper back then, but I don't quite remember, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to look and, and see. And when I write the article, uh, I'm going to look at, you know, I'm going to say, you know, if I was maybe I was right about this guy, maybe I was wrong about him, what were people saying about him at the time, how has he improved now, what's the reason he'd improve now, and then I'd, I'd do what you did, I'm going to be looking at his, his pitch FX numbers, and I'm going to try to figure out what exactly is going on. And uh, so that's that's uh, that's uh, how I would do it, and uh, and that's the way that the process works, at least with the retrospectives. No, no. How would we deal, or how do you deal with? Um, we, we discussed the sort of prospect who's posting excellent numbers, and you know, in the minors, maybe the lower minors, and then you say, well, what, what's going on underneath that? How do you go about um, handling the sort of other sort of prospect? And, and these may not be the best examples, but. I think of someone like Rick Porcello, who's been around for a while, uh, was you know was um, highly thought of as a prospect, not necessarily on the basis of his numbers, but more because of what he offered in terms of stuff, um, and has had this crazy breakout this year in like his fourth or fifth season as a major leaguer. Or alternatively, I think of someone like Julio Tehran, who for years has received a lot of attention uh, because of, of having a good arm, but has not really exhibited um, this sort of promise um, – or has not necessarily always been able to, I guess, translate it to uh, success at the highest levels, and, but but he's having a lot of success recently. I mean, how do you handle this other sort of prospect whose stuff kind of um, maybe is out in front of his per, his performance? Well, you know, those are both of those cases, both Tehran and um, and Porcel were were really young for their leagues. They were pushed very quickly, uh, particularly um, particularly Rick and. Uh, and I think that, that that's one thing that, that you have to account for uh, just as a part of the process. It's particularly true for hitters, but it's true for pitchers, too. Um, you know, a lot of times these guys, and the Tigers seem to do this to a lot of people. They did the same thing with Bonderman, too. Uh, just you know, push these guys really fast. And uh, and, and it, it, uh, particularly in, like, you know, Tehran, um, you know, he always had uh, really good scouting reports and, uh and the numbers were actually usually there. He, had, he was good in, in Double A. He was good in Triple A for the first season. Then last year he had some problems, which uh, turned out to be uh, due to you know some mechanical issues that they were working with and stuff. And then this year he's been able to put it together. But you know, Tehran is still only what 22. He's still only I think he's only 22 years old. Uh, this is a guy who, if he had you know been born in North America. Uh, he wouldn't have even been drafted until, like, I guess maybe 2012 if he'd gone to college. And uh, so, uh, or, if he, or if he'd been to high school, I guess he would have been more like a 2008, 2008 guy. But even so, uh, you know, these guys are so young 
uh, when they're pushed to the major leagues or Triple A for that matter that quickly, I think that's where you got to cut them some slack. Um, where I think the numbers become less important, and uh, or at least not as less important, but less indicative of what might happen in the future uh, when the when the age competition curve gets bent in a certain way. Um, and in both of those cases, uh, the, you know, the reports were always uh, that this is this is a guy with with a live arm and he needs to develop the secondary stuff. Now, the thing is, if you look at baseball history, you find a lot of cases where guys like that get pushed quickly and they don't develop. Sometimes due to injury, uh, sometimes just just because. <laughs> and and trying to and trying to figure out which of the you know which of these guys are going to be like that and which one aren't that's always tough. And I I don't think we've solved the. We don't have the golden grail on, or the golden grail. That's not a phrase. We don't have the <laughs> golden grail. The holy grail. Like the holy grail. The holy grail. Yeah, we golden grail sounds like a breakfast cereal, but uh, right, we yeah. don't have the gold. We don't have the holy grail on that yet, and I don't know if we ever will. Um, I think we're closer to it than than we used to be. We certainly understand more about these things than we did twenty years ago or even ten years ago. But uh, but trying to figure out, you know, who's going to take that next step. You know, if you, if you ask a scout that, they probably say something about the player's makeup or something like that, uh, and that certainly plays into it. Uh, but again, you can have a guy who's got great makeup, who's got a great arm, and they still don't put it together. And uh, so, you know, it, it's it's. I, I think it's. Uh, we'll never solve the big mystery here. Uh, we'll get close to it, but I think because we're dealing with human beings, I think there's always going to be uh, always going to be an unquantifiable element. Uh, and and I think that's a good thing. That's what makes it fascinating and keeps it from getting too predictable. Uh, speaking of human beings, um, they're everywhere. I guess one fact. Um, <laughs> you but, think so? We're not, yeah. This isn't like they live. Yeah, you know, it's not a John Carpenter movie <laughs> where everybody's in disguise. But you, uh, it seems, so you you've been part of now the Espionation um, Network for I think for 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 a while. Um, you have, it seems to have developed quite a community uh, over there. And I was wondering if you could speak to sort of the development of that community and, um, uh, you know, how it's uh, how it's evolved and, and what it looks like today. Well, uh, I actually got started with uh, SB Nation back in um, 2005. I was one of the first guys that they run on board in February 2005. And, uh, and I basically built it from the ground up. My, my goal was... I wanted to have a community, you know, a community. I mean, there's other baseball websites. There's there's other baseball sites that do outstanding work. You know, no question about that. You know, where would any of us be without Baseball America, for example? Uh, baseball Prospectus, uh, Fangraphs. I mean, there's all there's all kinds of, of of information out there. What I wanted to do was do something like that. You know, have a, a forum where I could write, obviously, and where I could write what I wanted to. Uh, I didn't always have that kind of freedom at ESPN. Uh, so I wanted a, a forum where I could write what I wanted to, and if I wanted to go off on some bizarre tangent that nobody cared about, where I would have the freedom to do that. Uh, but um, but at the same time, I also wanted to, to, to basically build a community of fans, uh, but informed fans, uh, or or conversely, fans who want to be informed and who are willing to learn. And uh, I tried to, this I think goes back to, uh, when I was in college and I thought about wanting to be a teacher, uh, I, I, you know, one of the things that I've grown increasingly aware of as I've gotten older is how much I don't know. And, and, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm serious. I'm quite serious about that, how much I don't know and how much I'm never going to know. 
And so I figured, what if we could build a community where people could come together and talk about minor league prospects and talk about baseball and share information and share insight and, and learn from each other? And, uh, and obviously give me some clicks too. Okay. You know, I, I gotta, you know, I gotta have some traffic, but, but, that's the that's what I was going for was to build this kind of thing and and, and I'm able to do it. Uh, we've got a, a really good community. We've got a lot of uh, we've got frequent posters, obviously, but we've uh, we've also got a lot of people that just lurk occasionally. I'll get messages from them, people saying, you know, hey, you know, I've, I've never actually participated in the boards, but I read this I read the, the blog all the time. I really enjoy it. Uh, so a part of it is to you know give me a platform to be perfectly honest, but a lot of it is to try to build this sort of community, and uh, I. And I think it's worked. I think it's uh, it's 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 done well. Um, I'm proud of it, and uh, I'm very fortunate. I think to, to that SB Nation it gave me this opportunity, and that it's been able to do something that we that I've been able to build. I mean, certainly uh, SB Nation. I think that the platform there is is truly wonderful. There's a lot of good people working there, and uh, I'm I'm very happy to be where I am. And, and again, I, I'm lucky. I'm very fortunate, and. Uh, so that's where it stands. Now, you, uh, you've almost fulfilled your obligation entirely to, to Fangraphs Audio. Uh, before we, uh, before <laughs> you do, though, you have to, uh, you're have you required to do one thing. Uh, okay. Now, not every guest is required to do this. This is specific to you. Uh, you of course, <laughs> you, you have your prospect book. Uh, you do over 1,000 prospects. You have a, you know, you have a, a sort of format, a template you use to, to go over each prospect, right? Uh, yeah. It involves the comment and the grade, et cetera. Uh, what I would like you to do right now, and uh, I, I recognize I'm asking you on the spot, so that's, we'll take that for granted. Uh, I would like you to write a, uh, a John Sickles-type scatter report, prospect scatter report, on John Sickles as a prospect analyst. <laughs> that's what I need you to do. Um, okay, okay, sure. Uh, I'll say uh, uh, plays above his tools. <laughs> uh, you know, me- mediocre, mediocre tools, um, yeah. but uh, you know, kind of scrappy. Uh, but plays above his tools. Uh, sometimes gets lazy, uh, but usually pulls it out in the end. Uh, and uh, sort of like you know, uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Uh, you know, I-, I don't see myself as you know Roy Halladay or an ace or anything like that. But uh, I'd like, to- I-, I think I could be a. A steady, solid, uh, 200 inning, you know, 200 inning a year guy who, uh, you know, lasts a long time. That's, Good. that's, I think. Really and, right. and what's the grade? That's the question. Oh, uh, I, I say solid B, you know. Okay. okay. Uh, All right. Solid, solid B prospect, uh, I think, you know, and everybody, every team needs somebody like that. And, uh, and how I mean, are you a good team guy? How does that, how does that work in? Uh, you know, uh, I, I kind of go off and do my own thing a little bit sometimes. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily the best team player, but, you know, I've got good makeup. I've got a good work ethic. You know? okay. If the coaches tell me to do something, I'll do it. All right. <laughs> okay. Very good. Well, listen, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, to, to meet you, really, uh, talk to you. I'm going to invite you uh, to st- stick around after I end the podcast. But for now, I'll say uh, thank you very much, John Sickles. All right. Thanks a lot. All thanks right. That is uh, John Sickles of Minor League Ball and uh, John, John Sickles' own prospect book. Uh, I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.